Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. church and I just want to welcome everyone this morning, those who are watching online, who have come on live stream and those who are present here. I just want to greet you in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now today is the first Sunday in the month of February. As you recall, we started a series from the book of Nehemiah in September. We worked our way through until December and we took a break been through the Advent uh, studies, and in the month of January, we were looking at spiritual uh, revitalization or spiritual restoration or spiritual revival. So today we are going back to the book of Nehemiah. And if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to look at chapter 8 today. But I know that most of us must have forgotten what we studied over the period of time. It's been a, quite a while. So let me give you just a quick... Uh, uh, the big picture first. Now, after 70 years of captivity, now in 536 BC, Cyrus gave the permission for the children of Israel to return to rebuild the temple. Now, the story in Nehemiah is happening about 445 BC, so we are talking about 90 years later. So, in essence, it's about 160 years since the beginning of the Babylonian captivity. Now, here is Nehemiah, who was born in captivity. He had never seen Jerusalem, but still his heart is there. It's like the second generation of diaspora, born and grew up in Canada, having a real burden and a heart for the land of their ancestors. So let me give you the big picture of what's happening to Nehemiah. He received a very discouraging report from his brother Hanani, who just returned from Jerusalem. And the message was this. He says, the remnant of the people left are discouraged. The enemies are harassing them. The gates of the city have been burnt. The walls are lying in rubble. And there's great affliction and reproach upon the people. Now, naturally, this brought Nehemiah great sorrow of heart. So, Nehemiah sat down, as you read through verse number, uh, chapter 1. We see he sat down, he wept, he mourned for many days. He was fasting and, and praying before the God of heaven. And he got permission from the Persian king to go and rebuild the city. Now, the governors surrounding the territories, they viciously opposed Nehemiah's efforts. But... As we read in uh, chapter 6, the wall was completed in 52 days. So the book of Nehemiah is about re-establishing God's people physically and spiritually. But as we dive in, let me tell you who this Nehemiah is. How is it related to us as ordinary believers? Now Nehemiah, as I said before, he was born in captivity. He was a layman. He was not a priest like Ezra, nor a prophet like Malachi. He served 
the Persian king in a secular position as a well-trusted cup-bearer. Now, Nehemiah's secular job experience helped him in the physical restoration of the wall. Now, under his leadership, the Jews came together amidst of all opposition to accomplish their goal. And he also not only helped them, but he also brought about economic justice in the land, admonishing the wealthy for taking advantage of their less fortunate brothers. Now, Nehemiah really led by example, giving up a respected position in the palace, a well-known, well-wanted person. He gave up everything for a hard labor in a politically insignificant district. Now, he did not function on his own. As you read through the scriptures, you will see. He actually partnered with Ezra. Why? To solidify the political and spiritual foundations of the people. Now, throughout the book, you can see Nehemiah's humility before God. We can see in his moving prayers in the book of Nehemiah. is a great example for all of us believers. He never claimed glory for himself, but always gave God the credit for his successes. So, church, this book gives us a look into the mind of an old Testament man of God, giving us examples of how to make an impact in the kingdom of God. So let me quickly show you the overview of what we learned so far. Now, overview of Nehemiah, chapters 1 to 7, because we are getting into chapter 8 today. And I've given the title for these seven chapters, The Restoration of the Wall of Jerusalem. In chapter 1, we looked at Nehemiah getting permission to rebuild Jerusalem, and he goes to Jerusalem 1 and 2. Chapter 3, we see that the city wall construction begins. In chapter 4, we see that the enemies were threatening the construction. In chapter 5, we see that Nehemiah alleviates pressure on the poor. And in chapter 6, the wall is completed in 52 weeks, despite all the opposition that he had. And in chapter 7, which we did very last in the, in the end of November, Nehemiah shows what matters most to God. So in the big picture, the chapters 1 and 7, 1 to 7, we looked at the restoration of the wall of Jerusalem. Now as we move on to the second part of Nehemiah, from chapters 8 to 13, what we are going to see is the restoration of the people of Judah. So we looked at the restoration of the wall of Jerusalem. Now we are going to look at the restoration of the people of Judah. So we are in chapter 8 today, transitioning from the restoration of the wall to spiritual restoration of the people. Interestingly, church, that is what we have been learning in the whole month of January, isn't it? Spiritual restoration. And in 2021, how can we gain spiritual revival? And we concluded from Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 to 9, where the verses we looked at. Again, it's another Old Testament text. And we learned that we ought to fear the Lord. We ought to obey the Lord. We've got to make our house into a house of prayer, 
into a house of love, into a house of teaching. Today's lesson, actually, it just piggybacks on our theme. So let us dive into the text today. Now, if you read Nehemiah 8, there are 18 verses as we go through that. There are four marks of spiritual restoration or revival related all to God's Word. So let me make the first mark and I'll explain to you. The first mark is for spiritual restoration or revival, God's people, that is we, must read the Word. Let me say it again. For spiritual restoration or revival, we, the children of God, must read His Word. Let's look at verse 1. 1 to 3 we are going to look at. Now all the people gathered there as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So the, what we are seeing here is the people gathered, and they were asking Ezra to bring the book, the scroll of the law of Moses. Now what is that scroll? That, that scroll that the Lord gave to Israel. Let's read verse number 2. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. So this narrative tells us that it was Ezra, the priest, he brought the law to read before the assembly of all who could hear. Let's go to verse number 3. As you read verse number 3, then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. Before the men and women, those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So what do we gather from these three verses? Ezra read from it publicly from dawn until noon. That's what you're learning. What did he read? Ezra actually read the foundation articles of the faith, which was given to them at the Exodus. And this law had full divine authority. Why? Because the Lord gave it. It was commanded to Moses. Now, there's a point I want us to note here. No one should tamper with the text that was given to them, the law that was given to them, because it was given by God. So one should read as is. It must be an unadulterated script. That's a key concept for us to note. When you are reading the scripture, we are reading it as is. So the people recognized and respected the fact that God has given this material to Moses, and therefore they know it was an authoritative word to, given to them. Now, church, I want you to understand one thing. In those days, the copies of the law of Moses were not probably somewhat, it was very rare. You can't find it every place. And many of the Jews may not have had the chance to even see it. Even in the New Testament, we see that when Paul instructs Timothy, this is what he says. He says, he was actually encouraging them to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. 
So reading of God's word is an integral part of the worship. Now until the invention of the printing press in the 15th century, the Bible had to be copied by hand. And there would only be one copy in a city and often, the history says, is chained to the pulpit. The, the script is chained to the pulpit. Since people were often illiterate, the Bible had to be read publicly for the common people to know what it is. Church, if God really wanted, he could have easily communicated with us in some other forms other than writing. But the, the, the Bible is very clear that God chose to put it in written form, what we call the Bible. So if it is his authoritative word, and he has commanded us to read corporately and individually. Church, this Bible is the inspired word of God. God breathes. That's what you find in the scriptures. It unfolds a divine love story. A love story between the creator God and the object of his love, the mankind, you and I. In the pages of the Bible, we learn of God's interaction with humans. We discover his purposes and plans from the very beginning of time and throughout history. That means that for people to know God and the message of salvation, we have to read and study the Bible. But sadly today, many Christians, many believers, we are satisfied by reading devotional written by men and women of God. Oh, daily, I have this daily bread. I read the word for Jesus. There is nothing wrong with that. There are some others who are satisfied with listening to some popular preachers on TV. Again, nothing wrong with that, as long as you know who the preachers are. But God commands that his word must be read. That should be our primary source. The devotionals and other messages are only complementary. Church, the strength of a church will be in direct proportion to the number of people in that church who read and study God's written word. Let me repeat that. The strength of a church will be in direct proportion to the number of people in that church who read and study God's written word. This is why I encourage you to read, to study, to memorize, to meditate. This is why I encourage you to join the Bible study. And today, almost all of us, we know how to read. We have no excuse and we have multiple translations of the Bible in our language. So if you want spiritual restoration or revival, it will only come through God's word. In Psalm 119, we see that which it talks about how God's word brings revival. If you have never done so, I'm going to encourage you and make it as a challenge to you. Come up with a plan to read through the Bible in 2021. Make a plan for yourself. But you know what we do? Very often, we come up with excuses after excuses for not wanting to read the Bible. Pastor, I don't have time. 
the truth of the matter is we all have given we are given 24 hours in each day church can't you spare half an hour to read and someone else will say pastor it's boring to read the bible what we don't understand is the bible contains the greatest love story ever told the biography of God's atoning work through men and women of God. It contains historical facts about the origin of life, about the creation records, even the end times. What an exciting thing that we see in the scriptures. And some others will say, Pastor, I can't understand when I read the scriptures. The Bible can be intimidating at times, church. It speaks of events that are unexplainable. In language that isn't always easy to make out. However, when you approach the study of God's word with the true desire to learn, I strongly believe the Lord will minister to us, will give us the insight and understanding through the Holy Spirit. That some of us come and say, Pastor, this is not relevant for today's life. You know, even though the Bible was written thousands of years ago, Church, I want you to know it still speaks to our circumstances today. Its truth is unchanging and eternal. What you study are timeless principles. And we looked at some last in the month of January. Timeless principles for everyday life for all generations, past, present, and future. That's what we went through in the month of January. Some people might come and say, Pastor, I don't get anything out of it. To get something out of the Bible, church, you have to read it with an open mind and heart. You have to be willing to listen to what God is saying and learn to apply His truth to the specific situations in your life. And there can be many more excuses. I want to ask you the question, what is your excuse today for not reading the Bible regularly? In a disciplined manner. So the first lesson we learn in chapter 8 is that for spiritual restoration or revival, we must read His Word. Secondly, for spiritual restoration and revival, we must reverently listen to His Word. Reverently hear His Word. What do I mean by that? As you read through verses 3 to 6, we see that the people in our text were both attentive and reverent when God's word was read to them. Look at verse number 3. It says here, Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate. I read it already from morning until midday before the men and women of, and those who could understand. And listen to this. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Verse 3 mentions their attentiveness. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says, And Ezra opened the book in sight of all the people, for he was standing above all people. And when he opened it, all the people, what did they do? They stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord and uh, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the grounds. To the ground, sorry. So verse 5 and 6, what we see here, they stood up 
for the reading. They lifted up their hands, they bowed their heads, and they worshipped. What does it speak of? It speaks of their reverence to the reading of the word. Church, having two ears does not guarantee that we really hear, that we are really listening. If you really notice that, God made us two ears that we cannot close and one mouth we can. But we don't put to practice that one, isn't it? We sometimes close off our minds so that we chose not to listen to what is being said. Even though we hear the sounds of the words. Now all of us are guilty of it at some point in our, in our lives. And, and those of us who are married, we can certainly vouch for that, isn't it? We chose to digest what we want. In the same way, church, it is possible to hear the Bible read and or preached and not absorb a thing. We can go for Bible studies. We can read the Bible. We can sit under the greatest preacher. We can hear it, but we will not absorb a thing. Your mind is elsewhere. That's why the Lord himself said, he who hears, excuse me, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he says in Luke 8, take care how you listen. The Lord Jesus is warning us, take care how you listen. Church, if you truly understand and acknowledge that it is our God speaking to us, and this Bible that we are looking at contains the very words that God himself is saying to us, then we are certainly be expected to listen reverently. It's the word of God, the creator God, the one who put us together in our mother's womb, the one who has a plan and a purpose for our lives, is speaking to us. We'll be listening. As we look at verses 5 and 6, we see that the, the, the congregation, they stood up as if to greet a royal visitor. And then they bowed down in worship. Not this church. They were not worshipping the actual scroll that Ezra held in his hand. They are worshipping the God who had given the words of the scroll through Moses. So this attentiveness stems from reverence. When there is no reverence, there cannot be attentiveness. That is why we here in the church, I'm sure other churches do too, we stand for the reading of the word. That is why I encourage you not to use your mobile phones to read and read the Bible in the church. It's only natural, church. Let's face the realities of life. It's natural for us to wonder as we are reading the scripture, as we are following a, following a teaching in the church, when we see a text popping up, when there's a call coming on WhatsApp, when there's Viber vibrating on your phones, it is a distraction that you don't want to have because you are not showing reverence to the text. Nothing wrong with looking, at the, looking from the phones. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is that what distraction that can, can cause. 
Are we showing reverence to the word of God? Let us avoid any form of distraction in the church while we are paying attention to the reading of the word. Let us give us give proper reverence to the word. That is exactly what we are seeing these children, were, children of God were doing. For study purposes, for ease of reverence, use any device you like. But not in the church when you are reading and listening. It's not a rule I'm, I am saying. It's only a suggestion. I really understand that the preachers can sometimes be boring. But here's what Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon put it very nicely. He says, supposing you went to hear the will of one of your relatives and you were expecting a legacy from him, you would never criticize, Charles Spurgeon says, the manner in which the lawyer reads the will. Right? Rather, you would be fully attentive to hear whether anything was left to you. And if so, how much? That is the way to hear the gospel preached. Is there anything left for me here? You must have that same thirst. Listening is actually the act of consciously processing that which you hear. There are two simple truths about listening to the Word of God. Listening to God's Word, actually when you listen, you are experiencing God. Because God is speaking to you. You are getting to know Him in a better way. The Bible says in John 14 that, that but my helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. You experience God. And not only you experience God, when you really listen, listening to God changes you. Because the word of God, when it is released, the Bible says, it will never return void. It shall accomplish what it, what the, the Lord says, what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which are, for which I sent it. It will change us. So we looked at two things. For spiritual restoration and revival, first we must read this word. Secondly, we must reverently listen to his word. Thirdly, for us to reverently listen to the word, we must be taught correctly, isn't it? Otherwise, how do you reverently listen to the word? God's word must be taught correctly. Let's look at verses 7 and 8, what it says. Also, there's a whole bunch of names here I'm not going to read. Starting with Joshua et al., I'll put it that way. And the Levites, help the people to understand the law. Please follow along very carefully. And the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them understand the reading. So in verses 7 and 8... It reports that these men who stood on the platform with Ezra, there were a number of men that you can see, starting with Je uh, Jeshua and Bani and, and so on and so forth. They stood on the platform with Ezra, explained the law to the people. It says they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. So what do we see here? 
we must be under committed teachers. That's what you are saying here. Who can teach us? The teachers made the reading of the scripture clear and gave the meaning. Now, this could include a translation from Hebrew to Aramaic in that, in, in that period of time, since most of the speakers spoke Aramaic. But what do we see from here, church? Look at this verse very carefully. We see a cell group Bible study formation here. That's what they're seeing here. Probably Ezra would read a section, and all his assistants, Jeshua et al., everyone there, perhaps in smaller groups, would expound on that section and make the meaning clear to the people. Much of the Bible is plain to anyone who can read. But I admit there are some sections of Scripture that are difficult to grasp for all of us. That is why God has given the, to the church the pastors and teachers to help His people understand and apply His Word to their lives. Also, we are blessed with many excellent study tools today. Unlike those days, church, Today we can, we can learn, we have study Bibles, we have Bible handbooks, we have commentaries, we have encyclopedias, we have various numerous theological writings and books. For us, church, for our own study, to properly apply the Bible, we must properly interpret the Bible. To properly interpret the Bible, we must understand what the author meant for the people to whom he was writing in the context of that particular day. It's also important that since the Bible fits together as a unified whole, you must get a grasp of everything. That the Bible teaches about a particular subject by comparing Scripture with Scripture. Interpreting the Bible by itself. The Scripture validates Scripture. Sometimes this requires, of course, some historical research to discover the customs or the historical events related to the biblical text. Sometimes it's important for us to even understand the original biblical language that is used, consulting scholars who, do not, who, who may have some understanding. You can get, in, get into that in, with various books. It requires interpreting a particular verse or the paragraph of Scripture in the larger context, we should understand the context first. But church, be careful with this. If you take a text out of its context, you can make the Bible say just about anything you wish. You could say it anything you like. So just simple observations about sound biblical teaching. Sound Bible teaching must be accurate, clear, and apply to life. Whoever is teaching it, it must be accurate, it must be clear, there must be life application. That's what meditating on the word means. How is it going to change my life? It must be accurate. We can make all sorts of interesting points. It's not a historic history research that we are doing. But if you are not accurately reflecting what the passage is teaching, you are not teaching the Bible rightly. It must be clear. I know for sure there are some texts which are very difficult to understand. Even Peter mentions that some of Paul's writings were difficult to understand. We see that in 2 Peter chapter 3. 
Church, I want you to get one thing. We will not have answers to everything that we find in the scriptures. We will never. Nobody will be able to say that with absolute authority that I understand from cover to cover. Because that's what the Bible says. Let me tell this to you. There are secret things that belong to the Lord our God alone. We should not try to pry open the door of His understanding or to seek to expose hidden things of the future that we don't know. Look at this verse in Deuteronomy 29. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us, to our children forever, that we may all we may do all the words of this law. So there are things that are revealed to us, that, that, that for us, there are things that are kept in secret, that belongs to the Lord. So, but in His grace, He has revealed much to us. We should seek to become a diligent student of His word. We should search, the, search out the truth that God in His grace has given to us. And we should be able to teach that to our children. So sound teaching must be accurate, clear, and applied to life. Sound biblical teaching must also require a commitment on the part of the teacher and the taught. There's a commitment that must be made. Those who teach must be committed to take time and effort to study and prepare. You cannot teach the Bible accurately if you just read a text and just say whatever pops into your mind at the moment. There are people who say that the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. And they say whatever they want to say that comes to their mind. Even the apostles, a great example as teachers, who were taught directly by, the, by Christ and the Holy Spirit, what did they have to do? They have to say no to some of the activities. We see that in Acts chapter 6. They had to say no to certain ministry demands so that they could devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. In the church, that means, I want everyone to listen to this point very carefully. Those who are not gifted in the area of teaching, take on other necessary ministry tasks. So that those who can teach, they can study and prepare. In other words, there must be a division of labor according to spiritual gifts. And you know what, church? That's very example that we find in Nehemiah chapter 8. Look at this example here. Now, up to chapter 7, we see Nehemiah has been in the forefront. Why? Because he was a gifted administrator. He could organize, he could mobilize people, he could get the, get the wall built. But when it came to the time to teach the word, he took a back seat to Ezra. Ezra is killed in the law of Moses who had set his heart to study it, practice it, and teach it. Who is this extra? Uh, sorry, who is this Ezra? Look at this in Ezra chapter 6. Sorry, sorry, chapter 7, verses 6 and 10. This Ezra came up from Babylon, and who, who was he? He was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel has given. Verse number 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach statutes, and ordinances in Israel. So these two men, Nehemiah and Ezra, as we look at this, they illustrate beautifully 
the principle of team ministry. So, so far we looked at three things. Number one, for spiritual renewal, first, God's people must read His Word. Secondly, God's people must reverently hear His Word. Thirdly, God's people must be taught correctly. Finally, we are coming to the last point. For spiritual restoration and revival, God's people, that is we, must respond to the Word. Once it is read, once it is understood, once it is taught right, now we should respond. That's what you're seeing here. And Paul writes that if we don't respond, our knowledge just puffs up. We become big-headed. I know it all. Our aim, Calvin puts it this way, should always be to transform our lives by Scripture. So in the next few verses, there are there are five responses we, we see. We'll go through it very quickly. In verse number nine, we see this. The first response would be, I'll give you the word, repentance. Let's see what's happening here. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn, no weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. When the word was preached, we see that the people wept. They wept when they heard and understood God's word because they realized how much they had sinned against God. As you go through chapter 9, we'll understand it better. But the fact is, church, the more the light of God's holy word shines in our hearts, the more we will see areas where we do not conform to His righteousness. So the first thing for spiritual renewal, that is when the word is preached and heard and understood, it always, our response, number one, will be repentance. Next one, verse number 10. Then He said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is, the holy to our, is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now what we are seeing in verse number 10, our hearts are filled with godly joy when genuinely we show godly repentance. God never wounds us to hurt us, but to heal us. The joy of knowing that He has forgiven all our sins, that we are His people, should fill our hearts. I've said this before, I'll say it again, church. In my growing up time, my greatest joy was when I go to my dad and say, Dad, I'm sorry, I am messed up. And he will, you know, in those days they smack you, and they warn you, they admonish you, but at the end he gives me a big hug. That is the greatest joy for me. The joy of being forgiven. That is what we are seeing here. We'll go, we can go deeper into the study on the verse 10 another time. Then the third response that we see is actually found in the same verse, verse number 10. Look at this. Yes. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah reminded the people to send portions from the part of the sacrifices that they could eat to those who had nothing. 
So the third response, the first response will be repentance. Second response is joy, inner joy. The third response is good deeds. So God's word should produce compassion in our hearts for the needy. That's what even Paul says in the book of Titus. Look at this. It's about God's salvation. He said his salvation is this. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself for his own special people. And what is the last part saying? Zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. When you look at verse number, now verse number 10 talks about it. When you look at verse number 12, it says, we can say they returned and did as they were commanded. Look at this verse number 12. And all the people went their way to eat and drink to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. When the word was preached, they put it in action. They send the portions out. This there is, we can see that obedience leading to the obedience. Not only the good works, the obedience. As we read through verses 13 to 15, I'm not going to do that now. In verse 13 we say they, came, they come again to Ezra to understand the words of the law more. In verses 14 and 15 they were told what they ought to be doing per the words of the law. In verse 17, we see that the people heard in the reading of the law that they should observe the Feast of Booths. The Israelites had not celebrated the Feast of Booths like this one since the time of Joshua. So what we see in verse 17 is they made booths and sat under the booths and there was great gladness. So what do we learn from this? The speaking of the obedience when the word was preached, when Ezra said, this is what you got to do, and that's what you're seeing, a spiritual obedience here. And last point that we are seeing here in verse number 18, as we read the last verse. Also day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. In verse 18, we see the Feast of Booths lasted whole week. And every day consisted of more reading of God's word, concluding in a solemn assembly on the final day. In other words, there was great rejoicing along with reverential attention to the God's word. They reflected back on God's faithfulness. Dealings with the nation, in spite of their sins, they were filled with gratitude, love toward God, and for His gracious dealings with them. What are we seeing here, church? We are seeing that the reading, the study, and the preaching of God's Word should produce in all of us a heart of worship. A heart of worship. As we truly reflect on His abundant mercies toward us. So the response to the reading, to the listening, to being taught the word is first repentance. Second, there is inner joy. Third, that must lead to some good deeds. Fourth, this absolute obedience. And fifth is worship. So in conclusion, church, 
as you're diligently listening to the teaching of God's word, what is your response? Some people come to church with reverence for God and his word, saying, God, teach me today. I want to know more of you. They are ready to respond to the word. They profit from the teaching. But still there are others who come to the same service with sin in their hearts and they don't want to deal with it. They are, tuned, they are turned off by the very same message that helps others to grow. Because those people, they look for messages to validate their sinful life or that make them tick. So church, if you want spiritual renewal, check your heart. When you come with a responsive heart to read and reverently hear God's word faithfully proclaimed, then you will result. It will definitely result in your godly repentance. It will give you the inner joy. It will make you do good deeds for his glory. It will cause you to be obedient to his commands, which will certainly lead you to true worship. So as I sum this message, here's what we learned today. For spiritual restoration or renewal, the first thing we ought to do from this, we must read God's word. The second thing, we must listen to God's word. Thirdly, we must be taught God's word. And next, we must respond to God's word. And how do we respond? Number one is by repentance. Number two, it will definitely give you the inner joy. Number three, it will result in good deeds. Number four is an absolute obedient, implicit obedience. And number five, that will lead you to worship. Shall I ask the worship team to come and let us pray together now? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this message today. We thank you, Master, that you have brought Nehemiah and Ezra together in this particular chapter, explaining to us, God, the roles that every individual has taken. And you have shown us, Master, the need for the word to be read by the believers. You have shown us the need for the, not only just to read, but to listen to your word. You have shown us today how the word must be taught accurately, and the ones who are teaching must do it diligently. When this happens to us, a God, that there is a response that is expected from all of us, from the examples of the children of God. It will definitely lead to godly repentance. It will definitely give us the inner joy. It will cause us to do good deeds. It will make us obey, which will eventually lead, you, lead us to worship. So I pray that we'll allow that to happen in our lives, oh God. Help us even as we were exhorted during the time of pre-service prayer. Not people who are hearing, hearers of the word, but people who are doers of the word. So help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.